Well, to us, it's as cosy as a Christmas tree and as comfortable as an old pair of slippers. Of course, we couldn't, we just couldn't leave it alone, could we? This story of the Magi from the East who came to visit the infant Jesus. So we've added a few bits of tinsel and baubles of our own. We need a definite number of wise men, so let there be three. What names shall we give them? Well, 700 years after the event, the names of Caspar, Balthazar, and Melchior were given to them. Well, they sound suitably eastern, don't they? Now let's plonk them down in the stable, along with Luke's shepherds on Christmas night. Shepherds on the right, wise men on the left, and some cuddly animals for rustic effect. All together now. Now, I don't have a problem with such nativity scenes for children, but I do think that the grown-up approach to these stories is to stick as close as we can to what the Bible actually says. And the fact is, we don't know the names of these magi, or how many there were. They probably came in quite a large convoy. We don't know precisely how long after the Saviour's birth they came. Jesus, you'll have noticed, is referred to as a child, not a baby. And if you think that he was born in a stable, although Luke doesn't say that anyway, <laughs> he's certainly described as, as, described as coming to a house now. And did you notice too that dreadful King Herod sets about killing all the baby boys under the age of two? <laughs> all of which suggests that Jesus was perhaps somewhere up to the age of two at the time, not necessarily a newborn baby. Nor can we be sure about where these magi came from. Could it be, it could be Arabia, or Persia, or Babylon? Babylon gets my vote because I think there's a possible link back from this story to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 28 tells of the time when Daniel was made chief of the Magi, chief of the wise men in Babylon. Several hundred years previously, but if he was in charge of the Magi, I bet he shaped and taught them about the Hebrew scriptures about the one who was to come. Can't be sure, it's a possibility. But nor do we know exactly what it was in the sky that so impressed these magi and brought them, wherever they came from, several hundred miles on that journey. It must have been something pretty striking and pretty spectacular. Again, we don't know but I think there might be another scriptural link, this one less known than the Daniel link. And the link is forward to Revelation of all places, chapter 12. If you look at that, perhaps when you get home, and see, if you don't see there, a high, highly symbolic, when well, everything in the last book of the Bible is highly symbolic, but a high, highly symbolic that puts in even greater detail what was happening in the sky at the time that Jesus was born.
Now, I'm not certain about either of those two things, where the major came from or exactly what they saw in the sky. But putting both those accounts together, I think it was centred on a comet. Now, I'll take my anorak off now, and we'll get back to Matthew's account. Much that we don't know, then, or can't be sure of, about this account of the Magi searching for the king. But this much is clear. One day, towards the the reign of Herod, king of Judea, a group of foreign astrologers, stroke astronomers, the ancients didn't distinguish clearly between the two things, astrology and astronomy, possibly from Babylon, as I said, came and knocked on the door of an ordinary house in Bethlehem, in Judea, and asked to see the new king. And Matthew, in verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 11, tells us that these magi came, and they saw the infant Jesus, they worshipped him, and they offered him gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. They came, they saw, they worshipped, and they gave. I'm going to take these four items into pairs. First of all, they came and they saw. They came. What a contrast between the great and the good in Jerusalem. Herod and his chief priests and his teachers of the law. They didn't come and they didn't see. They knew from scripture that the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one, was to be born in Bethlehem. Find that in verses 4 and following. And Bethlehem was just five miles down the road from Jerusalem. But it didn't seem to occur to them to go and see for themselves. How very odd. And with these strangers, these magi, these foreigners, however, it was very different. Theirs would have been a hazardous journey of hundreds of miles that took several weeks. They would have had to travel through or to skirt round the desert. They would have endured heat by day and cold by night. They would have been in constant danger from robbers and wild animals. They didn't let any of that put them off. They came. They might well have stayed at home, wherever home was. That's Babylon. Babylon. They might have said to one another, Oh, look up there in the sky. That means there's a new king born over in the west, in Judea. How interesting. Goodness, look at the time. It's getting late. Let's go to bed. Or, having travelled as far as Jerusalem, they might have said, hmm, that was an interesting journey, (laughs) but we've come far enough. Let's leave our gifts here on the temple steps and get back as soon as we can to our wives and our families. No, they traveled, and they traveled all the way to their destination. They traveled until they found the new king. They came And they saw. I'm putting these two things together for a reason. 
Have you noticed there's a tendency these days, a marked tendency, to be more interested in questions than in answers, in problems than in solutions, in the journey rather than reaching the destination? Have you heard the saying, it is better to travel hopefully than to arrive? Nonsense. Surely it's better to travel hopefully and to arrive. Surely it's good, very good, to have an open mind and ask lots of questions. But the point of having an open mind is the same as that of having an open mouth. To close it on something solid. The Magi were determined to reach their destination. They wanted to see for themselves. Nothing would deflect them from their search. Nothing was too much trouble. So what trouble are we prepared to take in our search for Christ? There may be some folk here this morning who have come along to our Christmas services. You have been and you continue to be very welcome here as we sung in our first song this morning. Everyone is welcome. You've sung the carols with us. You've heard the nativity story all over again with us. But perhaps you still haven't reached a conclusion. You still haven't made up your mind. Well, I just want to encourage you to keep going. Don't give up now. Don't be satisfied with only questions about this, the most important quest in your entire life. Keep asking those questions. Put your name down for the Discover course that Alex told us about, starting on either Tuesday evenings or Wednesday mornings in, in February. Bring your honest questions and we will attempt to give you some honest answers. Even if sometimes the answer we give you, we give you is, I'm sorry but I haven't got a clue. <laughs> no, no Christian knows everything. But I do urge you to settle this, the most important question of your life. Who is Jesus? How can I find him? Jesus himself has promised in your quest that if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened to you. Yes, the Magi came and they saw. But now they worshipped and they gave. First of all, they worshipped. Do you see that again in verse 11? When the Magi came to see Jesus, they were bent on worshipping. Now, I don't know whether they worshipped him, they gave him adoration simply as a king, but I think that Matthew intends us to understand something more. Even if they didn't realise really who he was, Matthew does. He wants us to know that he is a king and more than a king. Their question in verse 2 was, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Once again, what a contrast with Herod. 
He was bent not on worshipping Jesus, but on destroying him. And this, you know, is entirely in keeping with what we know about the the character of this Herod. Herod, you see, was only partly Jewish, and he was not of the Davidic line. He was not king of the Jews by any right at all. He had been conferred that title by the Romans, of all people. And his title as king of the Jews was never accepted, really, by the Jewish people themselves. And because his title of king was not genuine, he lived in constant fear of rivals. Herod didn't trust anyone, and at various times suspected his wife, Mary Amni, three of his sons, and various other relatives of plotting against him. And his answer on each occasion was simple and effective. He bumped them off. To him, this child in Bethlehem was just one more rival. Where is he who is born king of the Jews, the Magi asked. And those words filled Herod with horror. The slaughter, the terrible slaughter of all boys under the age of two is entirely consistent with what we know of Herod's character. In contrast then, the Magi came and saw and worshipped. And in this, you know, we detect the the first glimmer of a glorious new dawn for the world. These magi are forerunners of a countless multitude from, from every nation, tribe, language, and people who have sought and found God's Messiah, the Christ. Matthew's Gospel is shaped around two events that show that the good news of Jesus encompasses and is for the whole world. Here in the beginning, foreigners from distant parts come, and at the end of Matthew, chapter 28, the Great Commission sends Jesus' disciples to every nation. The gospel is all-inclusive. The Magi worshipped, and they presented their gifts. Again, I've mentioned worship and giving in the same breath for a reason. We tend, don't we, to have a rather narrow view of worship. We we tend to regard it as a rather personal and private matter, hermetically sealed off from what we say and do in the real world. Something we do on Sundays at 9.30 or 11.15 or 6.30. Well, that wasn't the kind of worship the Magi offered. Look at these wealthy, educated, influential strangers as they bow down before the infant king. Watch them as they open up their treasure boxes and give Jesus the very best gifts that they can offer. Gold and costly spices. Gifts fit for a king. I wonder what Jesus and his family did with those gifts. Have you thought that since they will shortly become refugees, 
than in Egypt, those gifts might be providentially (laughs) valuable in defraying some of the expenses they might incur. I don't know. I just wonder what happened to those gifts. But the big question for me, as for you, is what can I give him? And I think the clearest answer in Scripture comes from the first verse of the letter of Paul to the Romans in chapter 12, when he writes this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your whole selves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This, says Paul, is the worship that makes sense. So how will we spend our time, our energy and our money in 2018? Will we give Jesus the leftovers? Or will we give him our best? It comes down to how we esteem Christ, doesn't it? Who do we think he is? Why do we think he came? What is he worth to us? That Jesus not only born and laid in a manger, but who died on the cross and rose again, and now lives ascended at his Father's right hand in glory. When we think of what God has done for us in Christ, when we reflect on the kingship of Jesus over all peoples, when we read of these unnamed strangers tramping all that way, coming to see for themselves, bowing down in worship and offering the best that they had. Let us too kneel at his feet. Let's bring out our treasures. Let's give him the worship of our hearts, our lives and our all. Love so amazing, so divine, demands no less, surely. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you have given such a gift to to me, to us, and to the world. May we not be too proud to receive that gift. And may we not be too resentful that we don't, in sheer gratitude desire to give back to you everything that we are and have. Grant us life through your spirit in Jesus so that life from henceforth, from now on, on, is not a mundane following of what we feel we ought to do, but a life lived out in joy and gratitude for all you have done for us. In his precious name, amen.